What's up, Sooner Nation? Yeah, I know it's been a hot minute again, um, but hey, here we are. And this is a special episode of the Sooner Nation podcast because we're actually going to be stepping away here in just a minute from talking about Oklahoma athletics and jump into some NBA action. So I'm just giving you a heads up. After this first segment, if you're not really into the NBA, if you're not really into what the Oklahoma City Thunder are trying to do as far as winning this final play-in tournament game to get into the NBA playoffs, probably going to tune us out after this first segment. When we go to commercial break, hit us back on Sunday next week as we get back into spring football hot and heavy. Um, and I, I want to throw that out there. We, we are, we're not abandoning what we typically do, but this is kind of a big thing uh, after the uh, playoff drought that the Thunder have been through, the opportunity to jump back in there as the number eight seed, uh, even though they'll be playing against Denver. But still, that means playoff games in Oklahoma City. It's kind of a big deal around here. But we got to talk a little bit of softball here because we're sh- what's shaping up appears to be an epic bedlam battle that is going to determine the regular season Big 12 champion, and then set the stage for some postseason drama. Now, we had Oklahoma and Texas uh, in the Women's College World Series championship last year. Great opportunity. I think a fantastic chance to have Oklahoma and Oklahoma State. I think you can have three bedlam battles. I really do. You're going to have the regular season bedlam battle that looks like it's going to determine the Big 12 champion. Then you most likely are going to have Bedlam in the Big 12 championship. And then you could very well have Bedlam once again in Oklahoma City. Um, and and it's, I, I love it. I mean, I, I don't know how you feel about it. I know Bedlam's a big deal. I know the move, the jump to the SEC is probably going to put, you know, take a little shine off of that. But the reality is if, if, you're, going to, if you're going to get there, you might as well go through, I guess in this case, little sister, right? You might as well go through the, the <laughs> go through your arch nemesis uh, to get there. Oklahoma out in Miami of Ohio this weekend, stepping out of conference play. Uh, they'll play two games on Saturday against Oakland and Louisville and then play the host team Miami of Ohio on Sunday, early morning, 9 a.m. Central time uh, for that game Sunday. Saturday's games are at 10 o'clock Saturday morning and then 4 o'clock Saturday afternoon. Then they're back into conference play next weekend uh, with a huge series because if you look at the only blemish, the only blemish on Oklahoma's record to this point of the season is Baylor in a non-conference game at the Baylor tournament. Um, The the Bears get the better of the Sooners. Jordy Ball, by the way, in the circle that day. Uh, But... um, 21st, 22nd, and 23rd of this month, Oklahoma will be back in Waco with an opportunity to redeem themselves. When you look at the Big 12 Conference standings, here's what I'm talking about. You got Oklahoma, Oklahoma State, the only two teams right now that are undefeated in conference play. Then you got Texas sitting at 6-3, and three, uh, those three losses coming at the hands of the University of Oklahoma. And Baylor's making noise. Now, Baylor's not doing great in conference. They're 2-4 and four in Big 12 play, but they're 32-9 and nine overall in the season. Baylor's on, on pace, on course, 
to make the NCAA tournament, which would give you four locks, I believe. Texas Tech, we're at this point, in, in my opinion, Texas Tech right on that bubble. But I think Baylor keeps just playing the way they've been playing. They're going to get into, into the tournament, which will give you four schools, which will be one more than what the Big 12 had a year ago. But follow me here on this logic. Yeah, Oklahoma, Oklahoma State, Sooners are 9-0 in conference play, 37-1 overall in the season. The Cowgirls, 6-0 in conference play, 37-3 on the season. Uh, they're number one and number three nationally. At this point, it really is going to come down to the Oklahoma State-Texas series. At this point, though, there's no reason to expect anything other than Bedlam for the Big 12. And it's not a great, honestly, in my opinion, not a great lineup of of conference softball this weekend. you got Iowa State at Oklahoma State. We already mentioned the Sooners are off um, in Miami of Ohio. Kansas is playing at Texas. And then Baylor-Texas Tech. I mean, that, that Baylor-Texas Tech series is probably going to be the best one. That's in Lubbock uh, beginning on Friday the 14th. Probably the best series in the Big 12 this weekend. But you always, if you listen to the podcast, you know, I like to follow the game within the game, right? Um, and when, when you look at the stats, the Oklahoma is setting up to do something potentially that has never been done. Now, I'll, I'll be the first to admit, I didn't do a deep dive into these stats, but I don't think this has ever been done in the Big 12. Let, follow me here as we go through some of the things here. When you look at the Big 12 conference program-wise, the top-hitting team in the Big 12 is Oklahoma batting 373. Oklahoma State's right behind, 347, and then Texas is just on the heels of Oklahoma State at 342. Pitching is where you begin to see a big difference between these top three programs. Oklahoma, 0.88 ERA. Not even close. Not even close because Baylor, Baylor's number two in the Big 12, 1.73. Then you get to Oklahoma State, 1.84. Texas at 1.99. But then you jump over to individual statistics. And this is where I don't know that this has ever been done in the Big 12. Your top three pitchers right now in the Big 12. Top three pitchers, ERA-wise. You got Nicole May that leads the entire conference at 0.43 ERA. Alex Duraco is right behind behind her, 0.74. And then the only other person that has a sub-1 ERA, is Baylor's, uh, and I'm going to mess this name up. Name up. I, always, I, I practice it and practice it and practice it, and I always mess it up. But uh, Dariana Orme uh, from Baylor, 0.98. Now Jordy Ball is on the hunt. We saw Jordy Ball with a shutout win uh, in Baton Rouge in midweek game just this last week. Um, her ERA is down to 1.3. Now she's 12-1 and on the season. The only Oklahoma starting pitcher to have a loss, but she is jumping into form. 81 innings pitched, which is the second most of the top four in the Big 12. And she's sitting at 105 strikeouts, which again, second most in the Big 12. If she can, if she can catch this young lady from Baylor, who I will not butcher her name a second time, if she can catch her, it's 0.98 ERA to Jordy Ball's 1.3 then I think you're going to have Oklahoma finish the Big 12 or finish the season with the top three pitchers in the Big 12. 
One, two, and three. And I honestly, I don't know that that has ever happened before uh, in this conference where one program had the top three overall pitchers. And that's kind of the game uh, within the game. But when you look at the offensive stats, um, the, the Oklahoma State's Rachel Becker, she's batting 500 right now. Uh, she's played in all 40 games. She's had 110 at bat. So it's not like she's like, you know, pinch hitting here and there to keep that average going. So she she's a wrecking crew right now for the Cowgirls. But then you've got with Oklahoma, you've got three of the top five batters. So really three of the top four batters uh, playing for the Sooners. Jada Coleman batting 455. Tiari Jennings 433. Haley Lee batting 432. And then when you go down looking through the top 10, Alyssa Brito is there at number 10, batting 394. And, and so it, it's still that offensive, that offensive monster that, uh, that we've come to know for Oklahoma. Uh, Jada Coleman and uh, Haley Lee tied for second in the Big 12 with 11 home runs each. T.R.A. Jennings uh, just behind uh, at nine. Um, so is uh, Alyssa Brito. Uh, I mean, you just got a, you got a, a, a plethora of, let me see, you got one, two, three, four, four players tied uh, in third place with nine home runs. So it's it's close as far as that that area goes. But when you when you look at these stats and you break it down, Oklahoma leading the way in batting, Oklahoma leading the way in pitching, and and where they really separate themselves from the pack is when it comes to the pitching. And that's I think as we close out this, you know, say close out the regular season, you you've got. You've got the series against Baylor. Uh, you got the series against Kansas State, and then Bedlam uh, begins on May fifth. And sprinkled in there, you got Wichita State. You got Tulsa. Um, those games are happening as well. The, the point I'm making is this: Oklahoma seems to be on target to win out the Big Twelve, with Oklahoma State being the school that's going to be in the way. Pending what happens when Oklahoma State and Texas hook up. If Texas takes that series, I think Oklahoma even puts more distance between themselves and the rest of the Big 12. So we'll be back Sunday. We'll recap softball weekend. We'll jump into spring football because uh, on Sunday, we'll be six days away from the spring game, which that's all kinds of anticipation. But but we're going to bring in our buddy, Zach Lowe. He's my favorite Thunder guy uh, out there as far as covering the Thunder. He covers it on Twitter. He covers it for us at Heartland Sports, and he's going to give us about a 30-minute breakdown of what happened on Wednesday night in New Orleans and what to look forward to Friday night in Minnesota as the Thunder try to march into the postseason. It's going to be good stuff. It's going to be really good stuff, so I encourage you to hang around. But again, I get it. If, if the NBA is not your thing, uh, then, then to come back and check us out on Sunday night. Have a great weekend. We can't wait to talk to you about Oklahoma football here on the next episode, but it's 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 time to thunder up. Right with him. Ingram makes a quick decision. Drives Dort. Banging. Goes back out. McCullum looking for Ingram. Ingram posting up. Turns. Fires. Shot no good. Gilders Alexander drives. Gets inside. The floor is gone. Oh, what a shot from Gilders Alexander. And the Thunder back up by one. Came in here expecting to win. And clutch free throws again. 2.1 remaining. Five-point game. And the crowd obviously disappointed. That will do it. Over to the Thunder team. We'll play another day. 
All right, we're going to take a break from our normal Oklahoma Sooner talk, bring in our, our buddy Zach Lowe, uh, talk about some Oklahoma City Thunder. The Thunder advance in the play-in tournament, one game away now from making it into the, um, the, the actual NBA playoffs for the first time in, what, three years, Zach? Three years? Does it feel uh, yeah, longer than that? Four years? We went two years, two year drought, and it definitely feels longer than. Uh, I mean, it feels like an eternity, time. doesn't it? For Thunder fans, it absolutely does. Yeah, one twenty three to one eighteen, Oklahoma City on the road against New Orleans. Uh, a couple of quick notes here: um, SGA twenty five of his thirty two points came in the second half. Knowing what you know about the game now, you can kind of say this with a sense of of relaxation, but. Were you worried at the half? You know, kind of have a low second quarter. SGA just not feeling it with the way that New Orleans is playing defense. He goes more into a distributing role, but you've got to have this guy scoring to advance. What was your worry level like going into the break on, on Tuesday night, on Wednesday night? It, it was a really weird mixture of part of me was concerned and part of me wasn't. You know, LeGuinz Dort was having an absolute incredible shooting first half, which you, you love to see that, but at the same time, that's unexpected. So to have a guy shoot so much better than he has really all season long and to still be down, that's concerning. Right. But then when you look at Shea Gildas-Alexander, he had seven points, season low first half for him. That's the lowest mm -hmm. he's scored in the first half all season long. Uh, when, when I see that and I see the way the game's kind of going, I, I just had a feeling he was going to have to do something, obviously, in order to turn the game around. And you know, I really felt like New Orleans, they were allowed to get away with a lot of off-ball contact on him. If you go back and watch, like, just focus on him, he got roughed up a lot. And yeah, I, was, yeah. I, I was hoping at some point the officials would get more involved. Um, he did end up with eight free throws, which all came in the second half, and some of those were kind of late. Um, kind of felt like he definitely could have had more than that. But uh, at the same time, like, I understand it's playoff basketball. You just have to be ready with a throw at you and being the youngest team in the NBA. You know, Mark Dagnall, he's kind of, made some tongue-in-cheek comments before about how the Thunder get officiated differently because they're so young. And I understand the whole uh, aspect of you have to earn the respect of the league, earn the respect of the officials. And so with that in mind, I mean, I, he's the kind of guy, uh, Shea is the kind of guy that he really, he's going to find a way to make himself a part of the game. And uh, as soon as he came out and started hitting shots, I was like, okay, here we go. Now we're getting back to normal. And I kind of started to settle a little bit, at least well, in that short time period. Two crucial sh shots, in my opinion, right there at the beginning of the third quarter, just kind of, mm -hmm. kind of push at ease with him. They were one was a three point, one was mid range. You just kind of like, okay, all right, now, now this is what we need. You know, you mentioned the physicality, and I'm actually going to come back to that here uh, in just a little bit. But let's let's talk about the playing tournament uh, just in general to this point. Four games played, uh, two games left on Friday night. Just I really thought I, I even said on Twitter last um, Wednesday night, and I we're recording this on Thursday, but Wednesday, I said out on Twitter on our on our picks through tally, um, tally site that um, I really expected Wednesday night's games to be super close. Um, the big upset so far, in my opinion, has been Atlanta uh, over Miami um, and even Chicago a little bit over over Toronto on Wednesday night. But I think you had picked Chicago to win that game. I did. Just just some general thoughts. Quality of play has it been fun as a basketball fan? What what are you thinking through four games? So I. I identify as a millennial in terms of my generation, but in terms of how I view sports in general, I'm kind of a traditionalist, and I feel like I fall into the old man game a little bit more. I lean towards, okay. obviously, 
in the GOAT debate, I'm, I'm 100% in on Michael Jordan. I love some of the traditional views on just the game of basketball in general. So when they introduced the idea of the NBA playing, I rolled my eyes. This is very much, you know, everybody gets a participation trophy. Let's just try to give even more of these losers an opportunity that feel good about themselves, blah, 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 blah. And now, obviously, as a Thunder fan, being in the 10th seed and having an opportunity, I guess mindset changes a little bit, but it's still kind of like a, an empty win, I guess you could say, if you don't actually make it into the playoffs. But I will mm -hmm. say, because of how close uh, the 7 through 10 seeds are in standings and because of how close the games have been so far, I think it adds an extra element of excitement in these early rounds of play that perhaps haven't always been there. So often the first round series are just blowouts and, and right. fans kind of lose interest before the, the playoffs really even get started. And uh, these playing games, they have been just absolutely thrilling. You know, I only caught the end of the Chicago-Toronto uh, game, but, you know, Chicago's down by, I think it was 9, 11 points with 11 and a half minutes left in the game. And then fast forward to just a couple minutes left in the game and all of a sudden, They've flipped the script. They're on top, and they've, they've mm -hmm. created a bit of a run. I just I love the story of DeMar DeRozan playing his former team, um, really coming up big. He had that monster dunk in the clutch. Just kind of adds to it. You know, his daughter's in the stands cheering, right. and Toronto's just shooting terribly from the free throw line. When you add those extra storylines to it especially, it just creates an element of drama that you don't necessarily have in some of those early rounds. So. As far as quality of basketball, I mean, this is playoff basketball. This is as good as it gets. Defenses mm -hmm. are turned up. The physicality is turned up. The stakes are as high as ever, especially for the 9-10 game because it's winner go home. It's literally, it's a one game, winner go home. Sure, sure. Opportunity. So, um, to me, it's been absolutely thrilling. It's been a lot of fun. And I hope, you know, the playoffs can continue to carry the weight that these early games have brought in already. Yeah, and, you know, and, and you look at Oklahoma City, Minnesota, Friday night. You know, winner gets Denver. Woo, you know, but, but yeah. you know, and we can we can fit, we can get in that later on. But but the reality is, it is something for Oklahoma City. Even if it's just from an experience, we you know, you talk about the second youngest roster yeah. in the entire NBA. You got two games postseason experience that, which is a crazy thing that none of these stats count for anything anywhere. They're just in a void. But the experience is something that they'll carry them in uh, to to the next season. What, what surprised you most about seeing Oklahoma City win in New Orleans on Wednesday night? Well, I had them picked to win, and I didn't really understand the five-and-a-half-point spread. I was expecting right. something a little bit closer. Obviously, like, I'll give New Orleans the nod uh, being at home um, as far as, you know, just having home court advantage in the playoffs. It means so much more even than home court advantage in the regular season. But to me, I mean, they, they were a little bit more injured. They did have some solid role players, which I expected to do even more than they actually did. So I was – happy to see that but as far as surprises go uh Josh Giddy he rose to mm -hmm. the occasion this is his first real taste of postseason play um even though it doesn't technically count for anything you know he stood out as a guy that uh you know he gets he gets the you know you can call it a cheap shot call it accidental whatever from uh Josh Richardson you know he's a, he's an Oklahoma guy himself uh that happens and you know Josh Giddy he kind of steps up like he's going to go after him now I don't think that's a fight he wants any part of right in a right real situation but I just think the fact that he popped up and showed a little uh, a little extra, that shows that he's here for the moment and he's not going to back down. And it didn't slow him down at all. If anything, he just kind of fueled him to continue to make plays. And, you know, his uh, I, I'm a bit critical um, from, from a coaching perspective. I notice I feel like I notice 
uh, flaws in guys' games because I've been coaching basketball for a few years now. And I'm, I, I tend to be especially critical of bad defense. And Giddy's defense mm-hmm. last night, it was very questionable. He got back cut multiple times. Uh, Lindy Waters barely played, and he got back cut so many times. So that was disappointing. But as bad as he was on defense at times, he was outstanding as uh, really he kind of had to be the primary role because yeah. Shea was covered up so much. And he, he didn't play a flawless game, but he played so much better than I think most people would expect for a 20-year-old. A guy to come in with no postseason experience, still learning the game, learning his game, and still finding ways to improve. And uh, he played about as well as I could have expected. I could have even dreamed of. And I think between that and Dort's hot shooting, um, that really paved the way to open up the opportunity for the win. Yeah, and if you haven't noticed, I mean, do yourself a favor. Go back to that that incident with Josh Giddy and Josh Richardson and not not right there on the floor, not right when it happens, but when they're reviewing the play, you go back to the huddles, and and I this is on Twitter. I'm, it's got to be on Twitter. Um, you go back to the huddles. Josh Giddy's still in the huddle, mouthing across the court. I but saw look that. At, look at SGA's face. Have you seen that? I go haven't. back and pay attention. Look at SGA because he's got this look on his face. It's kind of like a smirk smile, like, and yeah. I don't know if. I don't know what's being said there, but he's looking at Josh Giddy, and it's one or two things. It's, hey, I like the fire that's coming out of you right now, or it's, listen, dude, you don't want that smoke. It's, I mean, it's, it's one of those two things. I, but you, I think it's a combo. I think it's like an, I think it's probably like an older brother, like, I'm proud to see my little brother stepping right? up to the moment, but come on, dude, let's, let's keep things real. I think it's a mix. Did you see what Josh was saying? He was saying, you know what you did, don't do right. that again. To me, no, see, I thought he was saying, I thought he was saying, do it again. Try it. I thought he was like challenging. That's what, and I could, I'm a bad lip reader, but I thought he was saying, do it again, you know, like see what happens. (laughs) I thought, I thought he was saying, don't do it again. And I'm like, maybe he was. That's like the most passive aggressive trash talk, trash, trash talk. Like, don't you do that again. Like, uh, again, I don't think Josh is going to go get in the thick of a fight, but I also don't think he's afraid of the fight. Right. So, right. right. and I can I can respect him. I can. Uh, I, he's not going to be an enforcer. That's not his role. But he's not going to back down from a challenge either. And I think that's something that people have questioned. Is, is he a guy that can handle getting roughed up? Is he a guy that can be physical, get into the thick of it? And just the way that his game yeah. is transformed this year with his ability to attack the basket, and he still has his, his mixture of phys- driving physically and finishing with finesse. Mm-hmm. And, again, he's not changing who he is. He's just adding an element to his game, and I think that's just opening up his his potential even more so down the road. Yeah, for sure. But do yourself a favor. Go back and, and just, just watch <laughs> it exchange, but, but look at SGA's face. That's what you want to look at. Okay, All so right. Oklahoma City's moving to Minnesota now for Friday night against the Timberwolves. Um, give me something that you're confident in going into that game. Because if you look at the, you know, the season trends don't really favor Oklahoma in this, but you, you look at – you, you, you look at what the Thunder did, um, coming off of a, a game where they, you mentioned five-and-a-half-point underdog. I think they're a five-and-a-half-point dog again on Friday night. Yeah. I'm looking at that real fast, yeah. Um, you got to have some confidence, so, so tell me where, yeah. where it's coming from. So you mentioned the season trends. First off, the Timberwolves, they won the season series three to one. And some people are leaning on that like that means something. And I'll just be honest, I think that means absolutely nothing. Um all four of those games were played in the first half of the season, just the first couple months. I don't think any of those four games featured the lineups that we're going to see. And if you look at 
Oklahoma City in the playoffs, their past three trips, their first round opponent, the season series has meant absolutely nothing. We go back to 2018, the Thunder had defeated Utah three to one in the regular season. Didn't matter. Utah won the series. They had beaten Portland the following season four to zero in the season series. Didn't matter. Portland won four to one. You go to the bubble. Uh, Oklahoma City had beaten Houston two to one in the regular season series. Didn't matter. Houston won. So regular season series doesn't really matter a whole lot to me. Um, obviously, there's some concerns with season trends in terms of uh, rebounding. I think that's going to be the biggest concern mm-hmm. is Rudy Gobert and Carl Anthony Towns. But I'm actually glad Rudy's coming back. I think that the Timberwolves are better without him. I think what I'm confident in is the drama that Minnesota has is the antithesis of what Oklahoma City is okay. in the camaraderie and okay. the teamwork. Uh, just they, they they genuinely like each other and they play well together. Whereas Minnesota's still trying to figure things out. They have the right makeup in terms of uh, the roles that guys play and the star power and everything in that, but they don't have uh, they don't have the chemistry at all. And it, it seems like they're they're literally one more mouthy remark away from just completely falling apart. Mm-hmm. And I, I do think they I, I absolutely think Minnesota is plenty good enough. To, you know fake it through at least one more game, pull it together, and absolutely wipe Oklahoma City if they can control the boards. But I don't think that's what's going to happen. I I think that the Thunder can use the fact that – I saw it worded this way today. Oklahoma City's playing with house money. They don't really care. Like, they have nothing to lose. I think absolutely Thunder fans want to win this game. I think every single player on that team is going to play as hard as they have all season long. They want to win this game. I think Mark Dagnall would like to see us win this game. But – as far as what it means for the future, this game is really nothing outside of more experience. So as far as win-loss, it's not going to dictate what happens next. It's just mm-hmm. going to be, you know, an, an extra chapter to this already Cinderella story of a season I feel like we've had. So because there's not a whole lot of pressure to just go out and prove something, I think the pressure is off of the Thunder, and it's definitely all on Minnesota. And I think Timberwolves fans feel that. I think they would have rather have played Dallas because of the drama that's going on with the Mavericks right, right, right. Now. Uh, At least then they can match drama for drama. The Thunder play so free. They play with so much energy. And, and because of just that lack of pressure, I feel like they have a good opportunity to go in and provide another upset. It's not going to be easy, but uh, that, that door is open for sure. Okay, so we're going to do something called True or False. Uh, this is a regular thing that we do on the Center Nation podcast, even though this is a Thunder edition. So that means you – as the Thunder guy, you get to answer these questions. Basically, I throw out a statement, and you're going to tell me whether it's true or whether it's false, and uh, and then you got to tell me why, why okay. it is that way, okay? So uh, I'm going to set a couple of these up for you, but let's, let's go back to Wednesday night, late in the game. Thunder are up by four. Brendan Ingram drains a three-point shot that just looked like he had no business going in, but he drains it. Brendan Ingram's calling for the foul, says he was hit. On the elbow, sure or false, Brennan Ingram had a legit argument for the N1 on that three-point shot. I say false. I saw the replay, and at first glance, I didn't see contact. The announcer even said Dort avoided the foul. I'll be honest. Like, I didn't go back and look at it a thousand times like I'm sure New Orleans Pelicans fans have. Um, I've not seen the last two-minute report at all, but I can actually – I mean, I can pull it up pretty quickly because I, I frequent – that website <laughs> regularly throughout the season just to see how it goes. But I just – I didn't see it, so I, I don't – I absolutely think it's his job uh, to go through and make uh, make the argument. 
I'm looking at it right now. It says there was a correct no call. Dort contests the jump shot attempt and avoids making contact with Ingram's arm. So I think Ingram was doing everything he could to earn the call for his team. But I just, it, to me, it wasn't there. And based on the way the calls were going, like, Pelicans fans had no business complaining <laughs> about calls. And I'm just going to leave it at that because we won and I don't want to complain anymore about this shit. All right, so here we go. Number two, you know, you go into this play-in tournament and you think, man, this is just good experience. It shows improvement. Mm -hmm. The team's getting better as the as, as the whole, you know, the, the tanking is over with and so forth and so forth, right? So that was the mindset going into Wednesday night. Now that the Thunder have won and Oklahoma City travels to Minnesota, now the Thunder have true or false. The Thunder have crossed the threshold from this is getting good experience to it'll be disappointing if they don't make the playoffs. Uh, I, I'm in a mixed bag here. I think, true, it will be disappointing just because to see what they're capable of, it's like we're on the cusp of greatness. But at the same time, like like I said, I mean, we're playing with house money. It's hard to it's hard to look at the body of work of this season and say, well, I'm disappointed in the result. Um, if you go back to preseason, especially when Chet Holmgren was injured, ruled out for the mm -hmm. season – I just chalked it up to, okay, we're taking one more year. That's fine. I can be patient, and then we'll start being good. If you had told me in preseason that next season we were where we're at right now, I would have been disappointed because I would have wanted an actual playoff position. But the okay. fact that we're where we're at right now, all I can think ahead is we're going to be playing at home next year in games one and game two of the first round of a playoff series. It's hard for okay. me to think anything less than that. So uh, win or lose, I mean, I'm sure I'll, I'm – I have high expectations, so I'm sure I'll, I'll find a way to be disappointed if we lose. But uh, in general, if I'm honest with myself, you got to be happy with the way the season's gone, uh, regardless of the outcome of Friday's game. All right, so here we go then. Let's, uh, let's stick with uh, the Wednesday night game. You had the outstanding performances by both SGA and Josh Giddy. We've talked about them. Uh, true or false, we're not talking enough about Lou Dort, and especially the first quarter. Um, we're talking about his offensive performance? Right. I think Dor, at least on Twitter, he he received all of the credit that he deserves and all the praise that he deserves. I'm not 100%, but I'm pretty sure he ranked in the bottom five of volume three-point shooters in the entire league. He's not been great shooting the ball at all. So the fact that he came out and torched like he did deserves a ton of praise. I pray to God he doesn't come out and try to put up those kinds of shots again. Now, I, I, my, my rule of thumb is with a shooter like Dort, shoot one. If it goes in, shoot another one. If that one goes in, you have the freedom to kind of just pick at that point. But if, if you're shooting one or two early and they're not falling, it's time to figure something else out. Because now you've made yourself vulnerable to the defense and they figured mm -hmm. you out and you're not a threat anymore. And you're probably inside your own head and you're just you're, you're a detriment to the team. Uh, I go back to, and again, I can be hypercritical as, as just a coaching mindset, but Dort had a heat check late in the game where it was transition. He comes down, throws up a three, and he breaks it hard left of the rim, off the backboard. And this was in a critical moment. Like, we needed a score. And he right. puts up that shot. And I'm like, dude, I don't care what you did in the first quarter. That's not the shot. And the thing is, part of that is that'll come along with experience. That's kind of a – He's, he's still a young guy. It's so hard to think of him as being on, you know, one of the youngest teams in NBA history, being one of the youngest guys in mm -hmm. such a prominent role because he's been doing this for so long. But 
The fact is that was just a boneheaded shot, and I did not love it. I think he deserved a lot of praise, and I think he got a lot of praise. And I hope he continues to do that. But I think that the area that he deserves the most praise is because of his defense. Um, he absolutely roughed Ingram up. He, I guarantee you he got away with some things. But in the crucial moments, I thought he played great defense. I thought he did it well without fouling. And I thought in the moments where he could have been called for a foul, he managed to somehow find a way to play without fouling. And those are the mm-hmm. ones that really counted. So um, I think he re- he received a fair amount of praise. And I'm I'm happy with his performance. If he manages to duplicate it, great. But I'm definitely – if I had to bet on him hitting more than like two threes in this in, in Friday night's game, I'm not taking that. It's I just <laughs> – I would be blown away if he managed to shoot anywhere near as well as he did against the Pelicans. All right, so here we go. Moving on. Um, um, yeah, you've already touched on this, so this is kind of a softball one for you. But Oklahoma City definitely has an advantage over Minnesota in terms of team chemistry. Absolutely, I think the Wolves are one of the most, uh, perhaps, I don't know if this is the right phrase, chemically imbalanced teams in the entire league. Um, the fact that like. Yeah, I feel like it's prominent and public and obvious that Kyle Anderson and Rudy Gobert do not like each other. Um, I've never been a fan of Gobert for so many reasons. Uh, he played for those, you know, he played for the Jazz. I, I, I don't care for the Jazz. Um, and he did the whole, you know, the whole COVID-19 thing. Uh, oh, yeah, Everybody, right. had, about everybody that. kind of, everybody kind of blames him for shutting down the league. And I think that's kind of an overreaction. It was going to happen regardless. But he, he kind of made a joke of it. He's made some light of situations over the seasons, and he's kind of done some dumb things. Um, I think he probably thinks he's better than he actually is. He's kind of fit into a box as a player, and as a result of that, um, he's good for, good at what he does, but he's not better than I, – I can name a handful of other guys I would take over him any day of the week, any matchup, any scenario, whatever. He's a great player, but he, he is kind of a bonehead. And uh, I think he's added to so, so many problems that Minnesota, again, they're kind of young. Carl Anthony Towns, he wants to be a leader. He's really not. If you listen right. to the way that he talks, he tries to sound like he's this, this wise veteran that's, that's kind of helping his younger teammates along the way. But the fact of the matter is he's immature, and he just he tr- he's trying hard to be something that he's not. And I think that's kind of helps the imbalance of the chemistry <laughs> Uh, so far this season, besides the, just the fact that he's been injured. So you throw all that together, and you've got a, a disgruntled group of individuals that it's kind of hard to tell if they even want to continue in the playoffs or if they're just ready to get to the offseason so some of them can go their separate ways. So I'm definitely taking uh, the camaraderie of the Oklahoma City Thunder, the young guys, over whatever that is they've got going on in this. I don't know. Maybe it's the weather. Maybe it's just too cold up there, and it's depressing, and that adds to the problems. But uh, they've got they've got more issues than they, they know what to deal with right now, and it's it's becoming an issue. So who has more drama right now? This is just a sidecar here. Who has more drama? What's going on in Minnesota with Gobert and Kyle Anderson, or what's going on uh, with Kyle Kuzma in in Spencer Denver? <laughs> I mean, what, what's, uh, what, who has uh, more here? I I did not see what Dinwiddie's initial comments were. I just saw Kyle Kuzma's thread, and oh and no! So you don't you don't know what Dinwiddie said? I didn't see what started it. No. So it was something along the line. This is my understanding. Something along the lines of if you were if you were a superstar, the Lakers would have kept you. I I don't like. Did Dinwiddie just come out of the blue to 
Well, there was some, yeah, there was some jawing that kind of started, but that's what set Kyle Kuzma off was about the whole Lakers letting go and trading him off. And well, but, first yeah, off, uh, I, I I loved Kyle Kuzma when he was with the Lakers. I thought he was a fantastic young player. I thought he didn't fit well with LeBron, and I thought that was more LeBron's issue than it was Kyle's issue because LeBron's supposed to be the leader. He's supposed to be the guy that makes all his teammates better, and that wasn't really the case with Kyle Kuzma. So. Kuzma became one of the many scapegoats that had mm-hmm. been sent out of Los Angeles. Cough, Russell Westbrook, cough. And uh, as a result, he ends up in Washington, which is kind of not the best organization for a while now. Um, they've had a lot of issues. Even Bradley Beal, I think he's going to find right. a way out of there before long. And But he's, he's kind of quietly turned himself into a really, really solid NBA player. And I totally respect what he's doing. I like his game. Not a fan of his fashion choices. That stuff's kind of weird for me. But as far as his NBA game, he's done a really good job. So when he stepped up to the plate and kind of just went bullet point by bullet point and called out Spencer Dinwiddie, who I used to appreciate uh, uh-huh. his first run with the, with the Nets, he's kind of fallen off and just and I get he went through injury and he's just he's not the same guy even that he was a few years ago. And so it just it weirds me out when guys who haven't really established themselves or haven't proven themselves as having done something, then try to call out other guys who are really maybe at the same tier or even better, which I would take Kuzma over Dinwiddie right now. Uh, To me, that's a no-brainer. So that whole scenario is just super weird. I think that's kind of like off-to-the-side drama. You know, Kuzma's not in the playoffs. Dinwiddie shouldn't even be messing with that stuff. He should be focused on his own series. Um, And Kuzma was right if it wasn't for what, Katie and Kyrie did before he got there. He wouldn't be sure. playing in the playoffs. So there's right. that. Uh, but I, I think Minnesota's drama is so much worse because they are they made all these moves to be right. this prominent spot. And a lot of people were talking top four in the West. And I said, there's no way. When you look at that collection of guys, there's just too much drama. There's no leadership. And Mike Conley, he showed up way too late to have any mm-hmm. type of real positive effect that's going to going to help them through the season. So um, Minnesota, it's a tough situation. And I, I want to say I feel bad for for uh, for Timberwolves fans, but I don't. I just don't. <laughs> <laughs> All right, here we go. Last one, uh, true or false. Um, as much fun as Wednesday night was in the anticipation of Friday night, it's still going to take winning a playoff series to get over the sting of two years of tape. Oh, man. For some fans, I'll say true. I so, so you know I, I put a lot of our, our blog stuff on uh, Thunder Facebook, and I'll just say that is one of the toughest crowds for me to even want to be a part of because there's so much wishy-washy. The the Luguinz Dort ride is so much like a roller coaster. You right. have people people talking about how bad he is when he plays badly. You have people talking about how great he is when he plays well. And it's so mixed. So when it comes to just tanking, I, I absolutely um, would say that's true for a lot of people. Like some people aren't going to get over it until we're right in the thick of it. Perhaps even uh, we might have to win a ring to satisfy some people. Like, oh, we went through all this. And true, we don't even have true. a championship to show for it. Which I, don't, I still don't think the general public understands just how difficult it is to go win an NBA championship. It's If you look at the last 20-ish years – the handful of teams that have managed to do it and do it a number of times, it's not a long list. 
And so the fact that the Thunder is, I, I mean, two years of tanking is nothing. Look at the Kings. It's been right. almost two decades since they've it's made 20 the playoffs. years of tank, right. Uh, so, and, and there's, there's, they haven't even been actively tanking. It's just been like right. the Israelites in the desert wandering, trying to figure out their way. And they finally managed to make it work. And, you know, kudos to them. I've never liked Sacramento because, you know, I was a Kobe fan back in the early 2000s. So those, oh, those Vladimir days, man. Those, that, yes. that was some fun. That was a fun oh, series. They were, those were some of the best, you know, Mike Bibby, Doug Christie, Vladdy yeah, yeah, yeah. Divock, Chris Weber, Peja Stoyakovich. That was the starting line. I'll never forget those five. They were so tough. And those were, but they haven't been yeah. good since then. So, you know, and I love Demonis Sabonis. He's one of my probably top five non-Thunder uh, favorite players right now in the NBA. I love the guy. I wish we could get him back somehow. I think he would fit in with what we're doing so well. But I'm glad to see him flourishing. So, so that's super great. But uh, I think, for the, in general, most Thunder fans are pretty happy with where we're at because they finally see, okay, this is what we've been waiting on. We're mm-hmm. so young, and it's only going to be better from here. Because I, I, there's there's just no way that we fall off. We we have to improve from here. All right, we're gonna run out of time here on on the call. But so let me let me just run something by you real fast. When you when you look at Friday night's game, uh, to me a, a big concern is rebounding. Uh, you have you had a ten Absolutely. rebound disparity um, on on Wednesday night. It's we're able to overcome that. But you've mentioned a lot. You talked about Rudy Gobert. You talked about Carl Anthony Towns. To me. That whole scrub with, with the timber was came down to a rebounding issue. I feel like Gobert is going to be super focused on rebounding. That bothers me moving into Friday night. What are your thoughts? No, I, I absolutely agree. I I, uh, I saw something along the lines of Gobert's playing a little hurt, perhaps. And, you know, I don't make excuses or maybe not, whatever. When it comes down to it, we're at the point where every single game matters. And you would like to think that's the case in an 82-game series, but it's just not. It's so hard to stay focused on every single night uh, in such a long season, which, I, you know, again, I mentioned being a traditionalist. I hope they do scale back the regular season, especially now that they're throwing in this, this midseason tournament. And Because I want, I want the best players playing every single night. Right, I right. hate seeing players resting. Uh, it's just that's not what the game's about. So I, I think that he is going to come in focused. Now, whether that translates – on, on the, you know, in the box score, I don't know. But I think just based on length alone, the Timberwolves have that. That's one of their strengths. They're very tall, and, and that's going to play a part. I do think that the Thunder have the ability to make the adjustments to figure out what it takes to win the game regardless of that. But I, I think if, if we have another start like Jonas Valanciunas had uh, last mm-hmm. night again, right. in the Pelicans game, then, then it could be a long night. We kind of figured him out a little bit, and – um, and made some made some adjustments that still burned us in other ways. I think Dagnall has the ability to make some adjustments and really come in with a solid game plan. So um, as worried as I am about it, I do think that there's some things they can do to kind of neutralize what, what Minnesota can do and counteract that. So I'm interested to see just exactly how it's going to go. All right, so real fast, let's do this. Let's run, let's run through this. You do a, a post every every game at heartland-sports.com. Uh, thunder against the spread. You break down the the over under, the money line, and the the uh, the point spread. Uh, the over under right now twenty two twenty seven point five. What do you think? Over or under? Um, I actually took the under on this. And okay. I think I think that mostly has to do with the fact that I think the Thunder is going to be a little tired. Um, I do think they are a little beat up. Shots aren't necessarily going to fall as much. I think trying to slow the game down might be a good part of the game plan. 
Yeah, I think Minnesota, um, they struggled against the Lakers, and the Lakers are not a great defensive team. They haven't been. And I feel like if they struggled to score just over 100 points against the Lakers, I think the Thunder's youth okay. um, might might be something that, again, playoff start, defense turns up, and I think that that's going to be part of what we see in this game in particular because uh, I think both teams might be a little tired uh, because they had to play that first playing game. So I'm I'm expecting the under, just barely. But I, but I do think I, that'll be the case. I'm opposite of you here. I don't know the okay. trifecta, trifecta for us. I, I got the over here. Uh, Five-and-a-half-point right. underdog for the Thunder. They were a five-and-a-half-point underdog on the road Wednesday night. Same on Friday night. What do you think here? Uh, I'm taking Oklahoma City to cover. I picked them to win as well. Okay. Um, I, I do think that it's going to be another extremely stressful, extremely close game. So, really, as far as the spread goes, I feel like it should be Minnesota, like, minus one, minus two, maybe even a coin flip. Um, I'm not confident in the Thunder winning. I am confident in them covering the spread because I do think this is going to be another one that comes down to that last final possession or two. No, I, I 100% agree with you here. I, I got Oklahoma City covering the five and a half. Now, I'm opposite of you, though. Uh, I hope we can still be friends after this. I've got Minnesota, man. I just There's too many intangibles here with the young yeah. team, um, you know, coming off from Wednesday to Thursday to, to play uh, in Minnesota. Right. You know, look, as much as we bagged on Carl Anthony Towns and Rudy Gobert, and justly so, Mike Conley, this is a, a veteran group. Um, mm -hmm. I think veteran groups kind of get savvy in the playoffs. Um, yeah, and I so, agree with um, that. So, yeah, so I, I've got Oklahoma City falling just – I got somewhere around like 117 to 114 type, type game. Uh, we've got just a few seconds left. So I want to throw this out here because I think this is the key topping point talking point moving forward, if Oklahoma City wins and moves into a seven-game series with the Nuggets, we talk about the physicality of, of pushing around Josh Giddey, pushing around SGA. Now, you don't have to be physical to be tough. I think mm -hmm. those two guys both showed they're tough. You can't, mm -hmm. you can't question that. But when you talk about the youth of Josh Giddey, you talk about SGA a little bit banged up coming down the stretch. Does that concern you over a seven-game series if it comes to that? that could, they, could they absorb that for four, five, six, seven games? I absolutely think it's a concern. I think they can figure it out over, over the course of the series. Um, I think best-case scenario in, in that situation would be hopefully pushing it to six games. Um, part of that's because I want another playoff game in Oklahoma City sure, get an opportunity sure. to go. But let's be real. Eight seeds don't beat one seeds very often. I, I think the only situation I can think of is the Warriors when they beat the Mavericks that year that Dirk won his MVP, um, which was a complete shocker. Baron Davis, you know, and the, the young Warriors team, different Warriors team, uh, pulls out a, a crazy upset. So that's just – that's not what's going to happen. I, I, if that happened, then I, I don't know. I'm going to buy a lotto ticket or something. But uh, I do think the physicality – I don't think the Nuggets are a super physical team. They've got a few guys that are kind of, you know, like Aaron Gordon is kind of that guy. But most of their play, like Jokic, he's not a real physical guy unless he gets pushed in a way that he doesn't feel like is right. Um, if you remember the the Morris brother that he, right, right. he whiplashed. But uh, so I'm not too concerned with them being as physical as New Orleans, even as physical as, as I believe Minnesota will be. So that that might help a little bit. But over the course of the series, when you think about how long the season's been and how banged up some of these young guys probably are feeling. Um, it's definitely going to play an impact. All right, Zach. So uh, you, you're every day or uh, every game day. You got stuff. You got content. Heartland-Sports.com. But you, you're live tweeting games. You got other stuff that's going out on Twitter. Give us your Twitter handle so everybody can find you and follow. 
Yeah, you can follow me at Zachary Lowe NBA. I'm not the ESPN guy, so uh, make sure make sure you're following the right one. But I'm I'm all down for conversation, and uh, I, I like to have fun watching the games and tweeting those as well. Um, I, I'm a little more lighthearted than I used to be. I used to take it pretty seriously. I've tried to lighten up a little bit and enjoy it more. So, yeah, Age will do that to you, brother. <laughs> Absolutely. Zach, thanks so much, man. I appreciate your time. And, uh, man, best of luck to the Thunder on Friday night. Hopefully we can come back and talk about a playoff series next week. Absolutely. Sounds good. All right. See you, brother. See you, man. I'm gonna be the man